You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Student Minister Sam Oldland. Tonight's reading is... 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 to 2, so it is a very short Bible verse, but if you would like to follow along anyway, it's page 980 of the Pew Bibles. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father throughout the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, to be obedient with Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Awesome. Cheers, Nick. Hey, it's great to be with you guys. Uh, Yeah, like Kirk said, my name's Sam. I'm a student minister at the church here. It's awesome to open up this part of God's Word with you tonight. So this is the first week of a nine-week series that we're going to spend looking through the book of 1 Peter. It's an amazing part of the Bible. It's full of uh, rich truth and uh, encouraging uh, instruction for Christian living. We're going to spend... Uh, nine weeks working through it, uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And tonight, we're just looking at the very first couple of verses, the, the greeting. You might have noticed uh, that the book is named after someone. It's named after Peter, who wrote it. So let me introduce you to this man, Peter, who wrote this letter. Peter is an uneducated, rural, Jewish fisherman in ancient Israel, from the middle of nowhere, who became the leader of Jesus' followers, the rock upon which the church, which today has two billion members, was built. Everyone you know in your life who's named Peter, this is the person that they're named after. Peter is one of the most influential people in the history of the world. The first leader after Jesus himself of the biggest social movement ever, a founding father of the world's largest religion. Peter was one of the very first people to start following Jesus. He became a follower of Jesus after Peter's brother Andrew introduced him to Jesus. Peter was the first one of Jesus' followers to realise who Jesus was, that he was God's Messiah, God's rescuer, who Israel had been waiting for. One time Jesus asked his followers, who do you say I am? And they answered, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. And Jesus replied, but who do you say I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus said, you are Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. There's something very special about this man, Peter. But there was also something very very flawed, very human about this man, Peter. Straight after he declared that Jesus was the Messiah, that very same moment he tried to convince Jesus that he shouldn't carry out his mission to go and die on the cross Peter followed Jesus for three years, giving up his former life to follow Jesus. And Peter promised Jesus that he would never fall away from him. And then when Jesus was arrested, Peter 
deserted him. He fled. He denied that he was a follower of Jesus, that he even knew Jesus three times. He failed when his faith was tested. Complete, utter failure in the face of opposition for following Jesus. But Jesus forgave Peter for that great failure. It's one of my favourite stories in the whole Bible, the story of Jesus forgiving Peter. Jesus has has risen from the grave and he's appeared to his disciples. They've seen him, they've worshipped him. And Peter, the, the leader of this group, the supposedly brave one, what must he have been feeling? He must have been so ashamed of betraying Jesus three times. Such regret, such sorrow. And Peter's with the other disciples in a boat fishing in the Sea of Galilee. And they see a man on the shore. It's the same place where they first met Jesus three years before. And just like three years before, one of Peter's friends says, Look, it's Jesus, the Lord. And you know what Peter did? Without any hesitation, fully clothed, he jumped out of the boat into the freezing, wavy early morning sea and swam ahead of the boat to see Jesus. What must have been going through his mind as he swam? Amazing joy and hope because Jesus Christ is risen. And yet surely, surely his threefold failure must have weighed him down as he swam. Does Jesus know? What will he say? What will he do? And Jesus takes Peter and he asks him, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And feed my sheep. And a third time he asked, do you love me? And Peter was hurt and he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And feed my sheep. And just like he had three years earlier, Jesus called to Peter, follow me. Jesus beautifully restores Peter to his identity as a follower of Christ and as leader of the church. And so that's who Peter is. That's who he becomes, a follower of Jesus and the leader of the church. Peter was, was beaten and thrown in prison many times for preaching about Jesus. Once, when he was questioned about following Jesus, he was a failure. Now, he's fearless. And Peter never stopped feeding Christ's sheep. That's, that's what this is. This is Peter feeding Christ's sheep, helping them to follow Jesus. Because by, by the time this letter is written, about 30 years after that morning on the beach, following Jesus was getting really hard. The church was growing. God was doing amazing things. And the Romans and the Jews, they didn't like it. It wasn't illegal yet to be a Christian. That would come a few years after this. But following Jesus meant experiencing sporadic abuse and ridicule and shame. 
Everyone knew someone who'd been beaten up for following Jesus. People were afraid about their homes being attacked by angry mobs. If you became a Christian, your friends and your family and your colleagues, they would not like that. There are Christians around the world today who really get that experience. One day we might really get that experience. If, if you were Peter, Jesus called you to feed his sheep in that situation, what would you do? How would you help them? All these thousands of people who've given up everything to follow Jesus and now their safety and their livelihoods are under threat. How would you help them? Well, we're going to see God help them and help us through this letter, 1 Peter. We'll see God giving us help by giving us hope. Hope that is living, hope that is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and empowers us to live for the great last day rather than for today. And here in Peter's opening greeting, God gives them and gives us identity. He helps us to live for Jesus because of who we are, what our identity is. So what can we learn from these brief couple of verses about our identity, about who we are? Have a look in your Bible at verse 1. Notice what Peter calls Christians here. So it's from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces. It's, it's a dual identity. There's two identities here, elect exiles. It's kind of like how lots of superheroes have a secret identity. You know, Superman has Clark Kent and one's hidden behind the other. I have a, a mate whose dad was, is a soldier and for that man, his two identities of being a father and being a soldier have been really hard for him to hold together. They've been in conflict in his life. And, and these Christians, and you, if you're a follower of Jesus and I, we have dual identities as well. But our identities aren't hidden behind one another. They're not in conflict with one another. They're both integral parts of who we are. You and I are elect exiles. Elect exiles. Both of those words have rich meaning and implications for us, but they're both a bit Bible jargony. So let's unpack what each of these words mean. First, every Christian is elect. That means we're chosen by God. We use this word in our society. We have elections where we choose someone for something, maybe for political office. Christians are people who've been chosen by God to be his children. But it's different to a political election because... God doesn't choose people who deserve to be chosen. Actually, it's the opposite. God chooses people who deserve not to be chosen. People who've rejected God, people who've ignored God, live for themselves. People who've done evil things and thought evil thoughts and had evil desires. People like you and me. But God, in his great mercy, chose to rescue us from ourselves, chose to rescue us from sin and from death and make us his own. 
He chose us before we knew who he was. He chose us before we were even born. He chose us before the creation of the world itself. Before time existed, God knew you and he loved you and he chose you. It's it's how God works. He did it with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, didn't he? He chose this nobody, this guy Abraham and his descendants, just this wandering bunch of nomads to be his people. And he made a promise to them that he would bless them and bless the nations through them. That was his covenant, his promise to them. And God never breaks his promises. He loved those people that he had chosen through thick and thin. He loved those people through them rejecting him over and over and over again through idol worship and greed and selfishness and injustice. He kept loving them. He kept blessing them because he had chosen them. And now you and I are included in that. That's you and me. That the church, we're chosen by God. We're the elect ones. And nothing can separate us from the love of the God who chose us. Now, it can feel a bit hard sometimes to get our heads around how that works, that God chooses us. And just about every life group ever has had a furious debate about this at some point. But the main thing is, if you're a Christian... You are chosen by God. And that is a comforting and wonderful and glorious thing. And Peter, he gets that Christians are chosen because Jesus chose him, didn't he? Jesus chose Peter to be the leader of the church before his failure. Even that deep, desperate failure couldn't make him unchosen. Peter says in chapter 2 of his letter that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession and the people of God. We're elect. And yet that's not the only aspect of our identity that Peter gives us here, is it? Peter also calls Christians exiles. What does that mean? Well, an an exile is someone who is somewhere they don't belong. A displaced person. Someone far from home. A stranger. Let Let me tell you about a time where I felt like a stranger, where I was somewhere that I didn't belong. I was in northern China. I'd been there for a field trip with uni. Here's some photographic proof. There's 21-year-old Sam pretending to be a terracotta warrior. So I'd, I'd had a great trip. China's a beautiful place. I'd met amazing people, seen some amazing things. And I was up in the northwest of China, and I needed to get back to Beijing. And I thought I'd be smart and book an overnight bus so that I could double up on my, my accommodation and my travel costs. Someone told me about these buses that had beds in them, and I'd done overnight trains before, so I thought that's a great idea. And I I get to the bus depot in this little industrial town in the middle of nowhere. 
and there were not a lot of tourists in this part of China, and the average height there is a fair bit less than how tall I am. So I was walking around head and shoulders above this endless just sea of people at this bus depot. No one spoke any English. I felt very out of place. And eventually I managed to book a ticket on a bus that I was confident was actually going to Beijing. It was about a 12-hour trip to get there. And so I had to force my way onto this bus with a crowd of people trying to get in. And I stepped up onto the bus and looked down the aisle and realized I'd made a big mistake. In the normal-sized bus, the kind of bus you might catch to school or to work, there were three aisles of bunk beds from the front down to the back. No toilet, triple bunks. So three rows, three high, filling the entire bus. The aisles were so narrow that I had to walk sideways between the beds to get there. And as I'm walking, I'm stepping over people's bags, I'm stepping over people's children. Eventually, I get down, I find my number. It's a top bunk, of course. And I climb up, there's no ladder, so I'm just kind of heaving myself up the other beds. I pull myself up, and it's just a flat metal tray. Right? They've said this is a bed, but there's no padding, there's no blanket, there's nothing. It's just metal that you have to lie on. And so I get up there and I realize, oh, there's nowhere for my bag to go. I'm going to have to lie here for 12 hours with my bag on top of me, my big hiking pack. And then I pulled myself up onto the bed and realized I'm about six foot tall and the bed was about five foot long. So I'm lying with my bag on top of me with my knees curled up. And then I kind of lay down on the bed and realized my shoulders were wider than the bed. So I'm lying with my bag on top of me, with my knees up on my side for 12 hours. And this bus just went and went through the night. And then, just to top it all off, I'm on this, this metal tray, right? And the metal tray at one end kind of bends up to form a little pillow. So I put my head down on this metal ledge thing and I realized the person in the bed behind me, their feet are under this little metal ledge that my head's on. So a centimeter away from my ears, I can hear someone's foot going against the metal. So I had to lie there for 12 hours on my side, listening to someone's feet. And it was the worst night's sleep I've ever had in my life. And I think more than any other time of my life, I felt so out of place. I felt like such a stranger. I felt like I do not belong on this bus. This is not where I am meant to be. That was, a, that was a funny example of feeling like I was somewhere I wasn't meant to be, like I was a stranger. But sometimes we, we actually really feel like that in, in a deep way, in a more serious way. And Peter says, that's what we are as Christians in the world. We're strangers we're foreigners, we're exiles. How? How is that us? How are we strangers in this world? Well, as, as Christians, as people who are chosen by God and have our home in him, our home is not here. We are in a place where we don't belong. When you leave church tonight and you go home, when you go to your favourite cafe tomorrow morning, when you get home from school to the house that you know so well, know this. This is not your home. You do not belong here. If you're a Christian, you're a stranger in this land. You're an outsider. The place where your heart belongs 
is not this place. A couple of weeks ago, I was part of a a trip run by CMS where we went to the Northern Territory and we visited Christian churches and missionaries and pastors. One of the uh, great things that we got to do on this trip was learn lots about Aboriginal culture and faith. And I was really struck, it really stuck out to me learning about Aboriginal culture, about the deep value across dozens and dozens of Aboriginal cultures around Australia placed on your, your country, on your place on your land. Where you're from, the land that you belong to is a huge part of personal identity for many Aboriginal people. I I couldn't pretend to actually understand this in my heart myself, but I find it fascinating. For Aboriginal people, being on your country is so closely tied to your well-being, to your physical health, to your mental well-being, to the health of your relationships. Being off your land, being in the city or being in hospital or being overseas means that you you can't be fully right because you are somewhere where you don't belong. You belong somewhere else. And according to 1 Peter, you and I are a bit like that. We have a place where we belong. We have a place that our hearts long for, a place that's our home, And it's not this place. 1 Peter is going to help us see that, to understand that part of our identity. Maybe you feel that in your heart, in your school or in your workplace, in your home. Maybe you don't. I hope that as we work through 1 Peter, we'll feel God pulling our hearts out of this world. You'll feel in your heart the truth that your home is not this world. In his letter, Peter calls Christians strangers in the world. We're elect exiles, God's special chosen people traveling through a world where we don't belong. And sometimes when we're in a place where we don't belong, a place that isn't our home, we don't navigate it that well, right? Like me in China, if I knew what that bus trip was going to be, I never would have booked a ticket in the first place. And and 1 Peter is a bit like a travel guide for elect exiles, a bit like a signpost for elect exiles. You know those Lonely Planet guides that people used to have, you'd now just have on your phone, I guess, that will have some maps, it'll have tips about how to interact culturally appropriate ways, it'll have some uh, phrases in the local language. It's full of tools and resources to help you get around in this place you don't belong. And a sign, likewise, it's... It's got directions. It shows you how to get around in a place where you don't know which way to go. 1 Peter is a bit like that for us. 1 Peter is like a travel guide for Christians in this world. Each week we'll see Peter offer us directions to equip us to stand firm and live for Jesus in this world. Because the journey that we take as elect exiles in this world can be really hard. It was really hard for these Christians 2,000 years ago. It can be really hard for us, maybe in different ways. But sometimes it's really hard to know how to live for Jesus in this world. Sometimes it's hard to be a follower of Jesus in our culture. 
Sometimes there are people in our lives that try to stop us from living for Jesus. Well, the good news is that we don't travel this world alone. We travel it together. And we travel it with the God who chose us. The God who sustains us and keeps us safe. God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. The rest of our brief passage today reminds us of who this God is who sustains us. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. The God who we worship, the God who Christians worship, is one God in three persons. It's what we call the Trinity. And each person of the Trinity, this one God in three, works for us. God the Father chose us like we saw before. And so we don't have to fear living in this world. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God has chosen to make us his children, then can anyone take that away from us? No way. We don't have to fear. And not only are we safe in the electing love of God the Father, we have God the Holy Spirit sanctifying us on our journey. Sanctifying means the ways that God changes us to be more like Jesus. From the day we become a Christian to the day we die or Jesus comes back, the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us, shaping our hearts, making us more like Christ. And so we don't have to fear suffering because when we suffer, the Holy Spirit works in us, sanctifies us, makes us more like Jesus. And we can live as elect exiles in this world because we're living for Jesus. We're called to be obedient to Jesus Christ, to live the way he calls us to live. We don't have to try to impress people. We don't have to live the way that our schoolmates or the media or our family or our culture tells us because we're living for Jesus. If we say that we're sprinkled with his blood like it does here, that's a Bible language way of saying that we're washed, we're cleansed, we're renewed by the sacrificial blood of Jesus. In this foreign land that we're in, we don't live by the rules of this world. We live for Jesus. You and I are elect exiles, God's chosen people far from home. And God himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit sustains us on our journey. That was Peter's story. You know what happened to Peter? He kept feeding Christ's sheep. He kept preaching the gospel. He kept living as a stranger in this world until he was an old man and the Roman Empire hated him for it. So they crucified him like the Jesus he followed because he wouldn't stop. And Peter so loved Jesus, the one who forgave him and restored him, that this time he didn't fail. This time he didn't run. He asked the soldiers to crucify him upside down because he wasn't worthy to die in the same way as his Lord and Saviour. 
And that's how he went home, to the place his heart longed for, to the place he truly belonged. What's the route that God might take you and me through in this foreign land until the day we go home to the place our hearts truly belong? Let me pray for us on that journey. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you that you choose us. Thank you that you sanctify us. Thank you that we're saved in the blood of Jesus. Sustain us on our journey through this foreign land until the day you take us home to be where our hearts truly belong. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.